Father, we thank you for this day, for this time together. We pray you would be honored with uh, our time as we seek to uh, study to show ourselves approved. And we, um, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity to do so. In Christ's name, amen. So we are doing a study on inductive Bible study. Just a little bit of background, when I was, uh, I think, probably 20 or so, um, I began to have a great hunger to know the Scriptures, and I was kind of asked to do a three-month thing where I was helping with the youth ministry um, at the church where I grew up, and so I started uh, thinking about all of that, I was trying to learn and study and grow and those kind of things, and My dad said, do you want to go to Precept Ministries uh, training seminar? And uh, I I don't remember, it may have been in, I can't remember, it was in Dallas, I think. But anyway, they taught people how to study the Bible inductively. And so I said, well, yeah, I would like to to go on, you know, and check that out or whatever. And then I got there and, uh, you know, it was like drinking from a fire hydrant, like, you, you know, generally things are when you are learning something new, but it was helpful and, and, and very beneficial, and they did, again, inductive Bible study. And so it, it really kind of has stayed with me, even after, you know, many years in ministry, then seminary, and then many more years in ministry. It's still kind of the, the structure that I think through. Uh, when I think about inductive Bible study, I think in terms of, like, if you were... Um, and inspe- you know, uh, well, I almost said Inspector Gadget. But if you were trying to solve a case, and you began to go through it and, and look at all the facts, kind of, to try to gather a conclusion, that may be one way to think about it. The only problem is sometimes um, when you uh, think of like Sherlock Holmes, he talks about more like a deductive way of looking at things, where he's kind of, he knows someone's died, now he's trying to put all the pieces together. I kind of think of inductive Bible study more with like you're trying to look at all the pieces and come to some conclusion. That may not be the best way to to, to say that. But it's, uh, you know, rather than me saying uh, God, uh, let's say that God is good, uh, you you would almost read uh, maybe certain sections of Scripture or a large portion of Scripture and you would come to the conclusion that God is good. You know, rather than trying to prove it, you try to find with all the pieces the answer or whatever. So it, it, it is, inductive Bible study is helpful because it, in some ways it's almost as if you have, you step up to the text and you say, okay, like, I, I just want to see the text for what the text says. And so you would study it and read over it. And, 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 and there's different ways people do that. Typically, uh, if I am, am doing things, and we in our church, we study a whole book at a time. And so generally, I mean, sometimes they're really long books. This is harder to do in that, in that case, you know. But if we were doing a letter, I might read through the letter dozens of times before we ever study it, before I ever studied it. And I'm trying to see the big picture and some of the overarching things or themes and people, and all the stuff that's going on before I dive into the section that we would study like on a Sunday morning. And so I just say that because it's, uh, it, I think it's very important for us when we're thinking about inductive Bible study. There's, there's different ways of doing that, but, but ultimately you're trying to, 
to identify like key markers in the text so that you can gain an understanding and come to a conclusion. And then uh, what you typically do, will, will, you'll test your conclusions, let's say with like good commentaries or, you know, those kind of things where you're, you're going to, or Christian history, like if you come up with something crazy that's like, you know, that's never been, you know, hasn't been believed throughout history, uh, you, you need to do that. And so inductive Bible study is good from a personal standpoint, and, uh, it, it's, it, but it always needs to be tested. And what we've tried to do in our church is give you some ways to study inductively during the week, discuss it with a group of people, and then follow that up with a sermon that allows you to kind of put all those pieces together. Does that make sense? So it's very purposeful what we've done. We don't always use everything I'm going to show you t- kind of today, but I just think it's important that you kind of see that. Now, you'll hear people say, and that's what we'll follow the pattern, observation, interpretation, application. So you observe the text, you work through it, uh, you do kind of as much as you can of just seeing what's in the text, and then you kind of move into interpretation and then application so that and, and some people debate on this, but like generally speaking, you would have to say that an author had, a, I mean, I guess you could say with, with pretty much clarity, you know, the author had an intention with the writing of the text. Of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing out this text, there, there was an intent in mind. Where, where some of the struggle is, is like, there are multiple things that you can pull from that text. So sometimes saying, what's the main point of this particular section of Scripture? It, it becomes difficult. And you could say, well, this is a good point. This is a good point. This is, you know. So the main point sometimes a little bit harder kind of to nail down. But he had an intention as he's unpacking the text. And then that's followed by uh, us saying, okay, since I've observed the text well, now interpreted it well and tested it, then I can apply it. So some people read their Bibles on a weekly basis or whatever, and they might like flip it open anywhere, and they read a verse, take it out of context, and say, well, this is how it's going to apply to my life today kind of thing. And you're like, well, that, that can be... Uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, you would hit it right, and other times it would be radically, like, wrong, you know? And so it's very important for us to, to, to be careful about how we approach the Scripture and even, like, speak to others about it. Like if you're good at telling other people, like, well, the, the, you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, you'd better make sure that not only does, does the, word, the words actually say that, but is that what they mean within the context? Does it make sense within the context to, to take it in the way that you're presenting it? So, uh, observation, interpretation, application. Now, if we're going to be, you know, as we're working through this, as we're thinking about it, like how do we observe the text? That's very important. And so we're going to look at that section called observation. And you're asking yourself, questions you're interrogating again it's not like the text of scripture is uh, on the stand and you're like you know screaming at the text of scripture but you are questioning it to try to gain an understanding and the way you do that I think it's in your notes here are the five w's and an h who what when where why and how those are constantly 
they should be on your mind. Like who, what, when, where, why, and how. Those are uh, questions that you will notice if you go back and look at our study guides over the past year, you would see questions like that. Who did this? What happened here? Why did they, they respond in this way? How did that happen? We're asking questions constantly of the text. So when we read, we're very inquisitive. Some people, uh, maybe you spend your whole life like thinking your own thoughts without a desire in the world to learn anything about any other person or what they're doing or why they're doing it or anything. You would rather just kind of like other people ask you questions, you know. But if you turn in and say, okay, I want to really understand this, you know, or if, if you work in a, a world where you have cases or you have a particular job to do or you're trying to gain understanding from a customer or you're trying to get out of a child like what they don't understand about what you are, you know, addressing, all of those take you doing this kind of work. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And then another thing is just uh, where... Um, and this is just helpful for me, I usually mark the text in some manner. It just it will help delineate, and you'll see that here in a minute. Uh, you know, that it, will, it will help you see what's repeated. So I usually mark the text. And so I would make a key sometimes for words that I would mark because if, if you, um, I'll give you an example. In the Gospel of John, the word believe is mentioned over a hundred times. That's important, right? In Matthew, he will highlight the Gentile coming to faith a number of times. Usually I would just like one, two, three, four, and I could scan through and say, there are five times that Matthew highlights a Gentile believing. Because what's he doing? He's redefining the people of God by how they come into relationship with God in a way. I mean, he's bringing us to a place where we understand that the Gentiles are now coming into, in a very powerful way, uh, in, into the people of God. So he's redefining that. It's not just by uh, your, your birth, but by your spiritual birth, which manifests itself in responding to uh, the Lord. So, I mean, we could talk about a lot of things, but, there, but in, in text, you see that. You see these repeated Things And it's helpful to see them all the way through a book. So, you know, it, you'll hear people say, you know, Philippians is the, the book of joy in the New Testament. Why do they say that? Because joy is mentioned over and over and over again in that text. So it kind of, that, that, that somewhat repetition kind of drives you to the main points uh, you know that are going on and, and by the way the words that are used let's say in the new testament there are words that you could say how many times this word used in the new testament how many times this word used in the new testament the frequency of a word re reminds you that hey that's probably uh, important you know so just kind of stick in your mind in that way uh, it can help to print out the text of, of scripture which is what i typically do uh, and i actually oftentimes just do it on my ipad now uh, that's, that's helpful because you can kind of make notes as you move through it. Uh, number four, identify key people, places, events, and subjects and mark them. Again, when you're thinking about marking the text, I'm looking for, for instance, in a letter, like the key people would be the author and the recipient. That's a helpful thing for me. So uh, places, depending on, 
sometimes it's really helpful to trace it out. One of the things I think about is the book of Amos. First two chapters, uh, um, there's this repeated f- phrase. For three transgressions and for four, I'm going to like you know judge Israel's enemies or whatever. Well, what he does is, in Amos is, he basically builds a case against every person surrounding Israel. And Israel would be cheering. Yay, I can't believe this. Like God's going to judge all of our enemies. And then he says, for three transgressions and for four, I'm going to judge Israel and then Judah. Kind of is the way. So what he does is he circles around them and then he hits them like them head on. Kind of think you're going to escape. That's kind of what he does. But the geographical locations allow you to go, oh, it's shocking. So I just say that you're marking those things that kind of stand out in the text. And again, we'll look at that. Um, observe patterns like comparisons and contrasts and parallelism. You'll, just, you'll see that in the text. Again, I find it helpful to just make a note of that as I'm moving through. Mark linking words sometimes are really helpful, you know. Uh, some people will say like the word, you know, because the word but, you know, it's a, uh, I think about it in Ephesians too. It's like, uh, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but God. When you say, but God, that's a big transition. That changes it. That's the game changer. You don't see, but me, but I was so wonderful. So I saved myself and then God saved me. You know, it's like, no, Jesus didn't die on the cross. You're not dying on the cross, right? Like, and, and Jesus didn't die on the cross because you didn't need saving. So you were in a state of being damned, and, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, he made us alive. You know, it's kind of that big time transition. Note linking quotations or allusions to other passages, which can be really, really helpful. A lot of times, uh, if you want to, um, there's a whole commentary. It's about this thick, and it's uh, it's kind of I think it's called the New Testament's use of the Old Testament commentary or whatever. And basically, what it does is is it helps you see every. Old Testament, like either direct quotation or allusion to an Old Testament theme, and it, it, it allows you to work through and see that. So it's important for you as you're reading through to note like, oh, if they start quoting someone or something, that's very helpful. Mark time and place. That's a helpful thing too. Again, we kind of already addressed that a little bit. But it's nice to know when he says, three days later, I always make a little clock just because it kind of stands out. It'll help put pieces together. Or sometimes it just emphasizes something. Mark terms of conclusion like therefore or thus. I mean, there's other ways. To do that, but it's just those are sometimes very helpful because uh, I think of Romans 12. Um, I'm not sure if this is I'm probably not quoting it directly, you know, exactly right. But. When you look at Romans 12, you come to the end of Romans 1 through 11, and there's a doxology, 11, 33 through 36. It's a praise to God. You're looking at that, and you're saying, God is great. God is amazing. 
I just can't believe, you know, it's almost like Paul's just overwhelmed with after he's built this theological treatise, like he's overwhelmed with joy and so he praises God. Well, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if all this stuff's true, therefore lay your life down as an offering. If God's done all of these things, if this is his salvation and he's accomplished it for us and it's led us to praise, then let's live a life of praise every day offering our lives back to him. Therefore, that's how he starts that. So it's kind of like, I've told you all this, now live in light of it. So it's a very big therefore, I guess you would say. Um, Number list in the text. We're going to look at some of those too. That is so helpful when you're looking at the text. It's um, so... He's going to say, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. And then he's going to say, they were long beforehand marked out for condemnation. And he's going to make this list about them. Or something like this. Older men are to be temperate, Titus 2, dignified, sound in in faith and love and in perseverance. That's a list in the text. Something you could like look and say, "I I, I can see that in the text. So, I think that's helpful. Write down questions as you move through. Again, another helpful kind of thing for you to do. Uh, memorize the text. Another thing they mentioned is, I, I tell you what, if you uh, do this process of like observation and you keep working through the text, especially if you teach it, after that, I don't even know if you have to try to memorize it. There are times when, especially in shorter things where like I, you almost leave the text knowing it without ever trying to memorize it. It just becomes a part of your life. Okay. And then uh, make a, uh, a list of what you learn about the things that you've identified or marked. I, I, that's something I think you do as you go along. And I, I would typically try to read through the text, marking one thing, Read through it again, mark the second thing, read through it again. So there are some things that are just kind of, I'm going to mark always. And it just, it's almost like forcing you to slow down without having to go the scripture. You know, it's slowing you down and not just blazing through. Because that's sometimes for us, we need ways, I guess you could say, helpful ways to to, uh, slow down. Let me see if I can do this little... Oh, isn't that sweet? Okay. All right. Who was that? Sorry, Leo? I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm joking. Whoever it was. All right. Interpretation. So we do observation. Interpretation, just a couple of things to know. Uh, Context rules in interpretation. Um, Again, I just can't overstate how important it is for you to... um, to, to think about what is going on in, in, in a book as you're moving through it. Like, what, what do we have done? And, and that's, again, that's another reason why we, we study the way that we do is because it forces us, uh, I mean, I'm saying as a church, uh, through books of the Bible, it forces us to um, read along so that when we get to chapter 7, 
it's we've been it's we've been following the argument so that when we get to chapter eight, let's say it's like I, I understand what's going on. So let scripture interpret scripture, and this is a very helpful. Sometimes there will be. Uh, things that come up, subjects uh, that will come up that you've seen before. Uh, sometimes, like when you're studying the Kings or something, they'll even bring up an issue and you're like, hmm, I think that was in the law. And we even looked at some of those as we studied through First Samuel, be like, why is that a problem? And we would say, it's a problem because they were commanded not to do that. It is a sign of what's taking place. Um, sometimes you will know when uh, the, the, well, I mean, when, when somebody's really gone off the rails by the things that they bring up, and the prophets do that a lot, so they'll bring things up, and you're like, are the prophets, do they just make things up? And it's like, no. They're going back to the law as it was given, and then they're kind of expounding on that. So let Scripture interpret Scripture. Uh, never lose, I think that's what that's supposed to be, base convictions on an obscure passage. This is just hard for people sometimes. Uh, they'll, um, they will pick one verse and say, that verse defines all of Scripture for me. And you're like, you're not letting... Uh, if it's just mentioned once or twice, don't build your whole thoughts about everything on that I mean and sometimes this happens when somebody's trying to disprove the Bible so they'll say something like well the Bible says whatever you know and you're like you, you got to look at the whole of scripture to, to and, and and it's that, that's that's hard for some people to do because again they'll like to zoom in on one thing they don't want to see anything else but this one thing every time they look at a text almost like they've got these goggles on that emphasize this one thing. So don't, and, and, and so even if it's, there's sometimes odd passages that you're just like, man, I'm not sure what to do with all of that. You can't let that overtake you and not be able to see kind of the big picture of what's really going on. Um, interpret scripture according to the author's intent. That's kind of what we do when we look at the text really closely. Uh, look for the main message of the passage. I think it's real important just to look at the, for the main message of the book. Like that, just look for the main message of the book and then for that section of that book. It's very, very important um, for you to think about what are the main themes of this book? What seems to continually be coming back and forth, uh, you know, or back to us? Um, consider the period of redemptive history that you find yourself in. So, this is extremely important, I think, is is understanding, yeah, where you are in the story of God's redemption. Um, so that, you know, there are things to Israel as a nation, an actual, like, uh, they're, they're, you know, they have, like, uh, armies. And they have, like, a, a full government. You know, it's just, so when you're reading about Israel as a nation... And then you're reading about the church, although there's a lot of what you would call continuity between the two, there's a lot of continuation as you're moving over, there are some things that are different. Like, we, we don't, we're, we're not like a kingdom 
We, we're, we, like live, we have citizenship in two kingdoms, in an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. So there's an awareness of that when I read the text. I'm trying to think about that when I read the text. And so I, I understand that although there's great similarity, there are differences. And I, and I have to read in that way. And, and where I am, you know, in, in redemptive history helps me understand what God's doing, you know. Consider genre in interpretation. This is like probably one of the biggest issues you'll face. And I'll give you an example. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And, you know, when they're old, they not depart from it. A proverb. You read a proverb as like we know without a shadow of a doubt a child will walk with the Lord their whole life because we trained them up in the ways of the Lord. Is that how you read a proverb? I mean... I don't read a proverb in the same way that I read, you know, a direct command in I don't, Ephesians. I, I just, a proverb is proverbial. When we say proverbial, most people say this, this is a general, you know, maxim. That this is something I can say generally speaking. When I train up a child in the way that they go, you know, th- this will happen. It's just the same way where I say generally speaking... If I go out and, let's say, plant flowers in my front yard, they're going to survive for the whole summer. But that doesn't account for the fact that I might walk by with, like, Roundup and on accident spray one, and it died. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Okay. So if you don't read with that genre in mind... It's the same thing in the Revelation. If you read the Revelation the way that you read the letters of Paul, it will be really troublesome and very confusing. Or you'll have to come up with like a chart that's like the back of this thing and you're like, it's insane. Okay, so study the Old Testament in view of Jesus in the New Testament. Again, that's something you just kind of constantly want to, to read as a Christian. You read the Bible as a Christian. Very important. You read the Bible in light of the revelation that we have. Those people were... God's revelation is progressive. He's progressively revealing His plan. So as you move throughout the Bible, more and more of an understanding of God is on display in the way in which He's working in the world. Ephesians 3 talks about his plan for the ages is on display. Like it's the things that they did not know in the past, we now see, you know? Like there, there were things that were happening in that time period, and, and we are like post that looking back over the whole picture, and we, we can see things at a, in a different way, in, in a greater way, I would, I, I would argue. But, but you've got to kind of think about that in light of the New Testament. How do I read the Old Testament? Because um, it, it is extremely valuable. Okay, now let's, re- let's look at the book of Jude. And uh, we're going to do a little practice. So I gave you that. You can read through it with me. I, I want, the first thing I would do, and, and I think it's in your notes here. If you don't have a copy of that, it's, you know, it's I guess, on the third page maybe. I don't know, maybe the second and third Okay, so you're looking at the text. 
I'm looking at uh, Jude, and I would the first thing I would do would be, because I know where I'm at in the Bible, in a general epistle, I would know there's an author. So who is the author? Everybody, who's Jude, okay, that's helpful, I'm glad y'all kind of identified that. But I would go in and mark every reference to Jude. Every time he, you know, I may have marked all those, but you'll see in verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, beloved, although I, I, who's he speaking of? It's a personal pronoun, Jude. I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write uh, appealing to you to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, I would go in and mark every reference to Jude. Verse 5, now I want to remind you, it's, uh, what you'll see is, and I think that's probably all the references to Judas in verses 1 through 5, but it, it, it very quickly identifies for us his purpose. What did he want to write about? If I made a list of what I learned about Jude's purpose, I guess you could say in writing or whatever, uh, I would quickly know he wanted to write about their common salvation, which is kind of like a, I, I wanted to kind of give you a theological framework to, to think more on or whatever. But, and again, he, he's looking at the situation and saying, um, let me see where it says here. But then he says, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you that you would contend for the faith. So I'm making a list, if I were doing this and I had time, I'd make a list of what I learned about Jude. And I, I would real quick, like it would be quick, like I would say, oh, this is what he wanted to write about. Instead, he had to write about this. He tells him to contend for the faith. And, and so I'd probably mark the text, make a list. Then I'd read back through and say, okay, if I know the author, now I need to know the recipients. And I'm trying to find out, like, what's he trying, who are the recipients and what's he trying to communicate with them? We already know kind of what he's communicating. But I also just kind of want to move through there and say, that's not all, he's that's not all he says. He says to them, I'm going to try to get you to contend for the faith. But he's going to talk to them about how to contend for the faith. There, there's a way in which you contend for the faith. And he's going to show them how that works so if you were to mark every reference i guess you can see that up there to those you see like i would mark that's in red actually it's hard to see that on this thing but to those who are called and he talks about that and then he says that you would contend for the faith in verse five now i want to remind you that although you once fully knew it that jesus who saved the people out of the land of egypt afterward destroyed so i'm just going to find like i said every reference to them if you go on down you get to verse 17, but, but, and this I'm just going to kind of make a little note, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles. They said in the last times there will be this, this, and this. So I'm just going to, again, I'm making the notes. I know Jude's the author. I know these, uh, the recipients are going to be referred to typically as you. Verse 20, there's another, but. You, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. I just say all that to say, okay, I look at the author, it's Jude. Look at the recipients, whoever they are. 
He lays it out for me. I'm marking all those. I make a list of what I learn. And when I've done that, so I might put verse 1 or verse 2, I learned about this about them, you know, uh, that they've received grace and whatever. Um, so, and then like if I got down here, I might say verse 20, uh, they're to build themselves up on their most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and wait anxiously for the, you know, for the coming of the Lord or whatever. And just, and all this stuff is causing you to slow down and identify things that are very clear in the text once you slow down. But it's almost like if you, uh, have you ever, uh, reading through, I don't know how many of you ever flown it like in a small plane where you can look down and see, uh, maybe at like, I don't know, 5,000 feet or something, and you can see things, you know, in, in a way, it, when, you, when you're in Jude, looking at the whole book, you can kind of see the big picture. But but then there's times where you kind of have to, you drop, you know, let's say you're at 30,000 feet, drop down to five, and then you say, hey, let's land and go, like, look at things, you know. That's what I feel like you're doing. You're going kind of big picture, you're narrowing down, narrowing down, narrowing down, and as you do that, you're going to, the observation, I mean, it'd be like flying over and seeing, uh, you know, like a, a, I don't know, a place filled with uh, deer in the field and you can see all that and you can see the whole picture and you can see where they drink water and you can see where they probably eat. You can see where they bed down. You can see all that stuff. And then, you know, you get a little bit closer and you can see different things. You can see there's does and bucks and fawns and then, and then you get down on the ground and you can like see what they're actually eating. You put your hands on it, you know. So anyway, that's what we're doing. So we're looking at the big picture and we're narrowing it. So that's... That's uh, hopefully helpful for you as you move through. So, after I've looked at, I might ask myself, are there any other people other than the author and the recipients mentioned in Jude? Verse 4, now, he's told them, I want to write about our common salvation. Now I'm saying to you, we must, con- you, I'm going to tell you, contend for the faith. Verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Those are, I would mark them, and I have in the text. So he says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. They were long before indesignated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, uh, um, who pervert the grace of our God into uh, sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So you kind of see... He's kind of laying them out, like kind of explaining. So you might say, you take your yellow pad or your, you know, and you say, these certain people, I've marked them. What do I learn about them? What do I learn about them? Who are they? What are they like? You know, why does you think they're a bad thing for the church? You know, or whatever. How did they get in? How did they get in? How'd they enter in? You know, whatever. You can think of that. Does that make sense? I'm going through the text. I'm looking at it. Um, And they're kind of marked out for me. So I can kind of see. It makes sense. Um, As I do that, then I, I really am, in a way, I can say, 
I know a little bit about the author. I know a little bit about the recipients. I know a little bit about the problem people that have come in. And, uh, and, I, and really, after looking at the author and recipients, I know the main purpose of his writing. Get ready to fight. Or fight. That's what he says, fight. Any questions? Does that make sense, kind of how you would do some of that? Like, just kind of working through, working through, working through. Slowing down, slowing down. Some people hate to, like, slow down. But it's just, it's a, I don't know. You just can't see things at, like, 75 miles an hour on the interstate. There's things you miss, you know. If the signs aren't really big and bright, like, you're going to miss it kind of thing. So this slows you down. Your application, this is just observation, right? So your ability to apply things are, are directly proportioned to your understanding of the text. And if you don't really understand it, your application mm, would be questionable. Okay, so you do observation. You're asking the five W's and then H. You're like quizzing the text as if you were coming up on something and you needed to know the answers to a problem. Most of you do this in other aspects of your life. Somebody, uh, let's say you're in HR and somebody gets into it at work and you've got to ask a bunch of questions to gain understanding of what's happened. Or let's say that you do a certain, you're a mechanic and you've got to diagnose the problem. Or, you know, I don't know, you're an English teacher, you already know all this stuff, probably, yeah. You know, but but it's just it's in you know it's important kind of to to slow down and think just like you would in other things. Now we think about these certain people, and we kind of we see what's going on if we were to study uh, about them. One of the things that stood out to me that I would mark in the text is their end. This is what Jude says about. It. He said that's why it's so important. Verse 4, they're designated for this condemnation. Then he's going to give you a series of examples, Old Testament allusions, kind of, or quotations or whatever. And if we had time, we would mark some, somehow like anything where, where, where he picks up something from the past and says, you remember how this was? This is what you're dealing with. You remember this? This is what you're dealing with. So we would probably mark it up like some kind of way to say, you remember Cain? That's, that's what we're dealing with. This is, this is their end. You remember what happened with him or whatever? You know, there, there's all this stuff. And so you see the word condemnation, destroyed, judgment of the great day, punishment, blasphemous judgment, execute judgment. Uh, there's a thing where he's saying to the church, there, you, you need to pay attention because these people are damned. And anyone that follows them will meet their end. 
So we already found out that kind of in making our list, but in making that list about them, we would say there's something repeated. Jude doesn't want you to forget. Their end is total destruction. They are running down a road that's going to end up propelling them into hell. Right? So if you want to like, if you guys are like going to embrace them, know that you're embracing damnation when you do. And again, it's all in the observation kind of stage. And, and I really would say, hmm, he's given us a history lesson. He's given us a history lesson as he explains he explains who they are by picking up examples. And we could probably make a list of the examples that he gives. He will make lists in the text. Now, well, here's a good, a good list. Verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own desires. They are loudmouth boasters, uh, showing favoritism to gain advantage, or whatever. You know, you could like... There are a bunch of lists in Jude. So I would mark those just so I could say, and go back and look at who these people are. And mark probably the references to the Old Testament people. Some of the Old Testament kind of things you're like, uh, I don't know, where, where did Jude pull that up from? You know, there's things in there, again, that I'm not going to build my whole theological framework on, but there are things in there where I'm going to be like, ooh. And so I, I just think it's really important that when you're working through this, uh, that you see in the text the things that kind of stand out. Does that make sense? So, I look for the, the obvious in a letter, because that particular genre, generally you have an author and a recipient. I'm going to mark those. I'm going to see, kind of hopefully, that will help me see why, what was the occasion of the letter? Why was this letter written? Most of the time, you'll see fairly clearly what, what is he trying to communicate. There may be other people involved. In Titus, this same thing happens. In Titus, he says, set in order, or set in order what remains. Appoint elders in every city as I directed you. For certain persons have crept in, kind of like is the picture there. I don't know if it says it that way, but that's probably just in Jew, but there, there are these people that have come in, these false teachers. And so he's going to explain what they're like, and then he's going to talk about how to live the Christian life. So I just say that because this is not the first time that something like this has, has come up in the, in the Scriptures. But anyway, I'm going to make a list of that. As I make my list, I'm going to see a repeated, repeated things. So I, as I studied in this, I see these certain people. I see the, the, their end that Jude's kind of highlighting which uh, should um, bring a soberness to the, to the people um, as they think about like, what they are listening to or even, even, like, even in any way associating with, like just in a small way. E even giving these people a voice is dangerous. Okay, so we don't have a ton of time. I do want to point out a few other things as you move forward. If I was making a list about the people, the recipients of this letter, if I was trying to understand what was going on there. Uh, when you go down here, uh, verse 17, he says, but you, so after he says these people are condemned, 
after he explains that they are living a rebellious life, they are not bowing before the Lord Jesus, they are living in total and absolute rebellion against him, and he will come to them in judgment. Then he says, but you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostles of our Lord Jesus. They said to you, in the last days, or in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. A little list in there. But you, beloved. And he says in verse 21, that's where the main verb is, Keep yourselves in the love of God. So how do you fight against all the troubles of this, you know, world or whatever, and, or, or of like re- rebellious people that are living ungodly, in ungodly ways and teaching false doctrine? You keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you do that? Build yourself up on your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and wait anxiously for the return of Jesus. And while you're doing that, just as a side kind of thing, like you know that you're going to help other people as you keep going, verse 22 and 23, one, have mercy on those who doubt, save others, snatch them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear. So not only are you warring against these things, but you also, as you're warring against those things, you have to understand that um, you have responsibility to others, but when you do that, be careful in the way that you do it. When you drag people out of the fire... Be careful about how you do that. Okay. One last thing I want to point out. Uh, sorry. See this word keep in verse 24? And sorry in verse, go to hurry. 21, keep. And in verse 1 and 2, kept. I think those are, like, that's a really cool thing because he starts and he says, those who are kept in Jesus Christ, he ends with the one who keeps you. And then he tells you to keep yourself in his love. So that's a, something that would stand out to me. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And we uh, have a, just a couple minutes before service.